All right, so here, so how many of you know this book? Have heard of this book? Yeah? How many of you have, have, have read the book? How many of you are looking at your ineffective life and lack of success and wishing that you had read <laughs> this book before? Well, one of the most popular concepts to come out of Seven Habits is the idea of a win-win scenario, right? That there can be more than one winner in any given situation. And it was a pretty revolutionary concept in the late 80s when he published this book because most of our models in life, from sports to sales to class rankings to, well, the internet, right, is there can be one winner and the rest are what? Losers. I'm in the rest category most of my life. Nowhere was this win-win, there can be only one winner concept stated more clearly than in the 1986 film Highlander. What was the most famous line from this? I knew it! (laughs) Ian knows it. There can be only one. It's on the bottom, right? I gave it to us. There can be only one. For me to win means that someone else has to what? Lose. For me to have more means someone else has to have less. For me to have enough to eat means someone else has to not have. That one hurt, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah. Well, Covey says that there can, be this, there can be only one culture breeds what he calls a scarcity mindset. And a scarcity mindset sees everything as like one finite pie. And there's only so much to go around. So if Ken takes like two-thirds of the pie... There's only going to be so much pie left for the rest of us. So what do we tend to do? We got to grab as much pie as we can while we can, lest the pie goes away. And it's a mindset when we look at life this way that leads us to anxiety, to stress, paranoia, fear, division, and ultimately, Covey says in the business world, diminished results. Because if we're always competing and fighting with one another, We're not working together. On the other hand, he says, an abundance mindset recognizes, hey, there's plenty out there for everyone. It promotes sharing and cooperation, creativity, and it leads to possibility. Here's an example. When my brother and I were growing up, we perfectly illustrated these two paradigms when it came to the kitchen. I had an abundance mindset in the kitchen, clearly. I was the opposite of Mikey on TV. This Mikey liked everything. (laughs) And so there was always something for me to eat in the kitchen, right? There was plenty. I could find something to eat. I was happy to share, and I was never worried there wasn't going to be enough because everything was edible in my life. My brother, on the other hand, he had an extremely limited list of things that he would eat. Mostly applesauce, hot dogs, celery, and milk. That was it. The four food groups were four foods. (laughs) And because he had such a short list of possibilities, it's weird to stand up here with a hot dog spine. Because he had such a short list of possibilities, there was always a fear in his mind that he would run out of food because there's only so much he could eat. And so that fear, that paranoia, that stress cultivated in my brother a scarcity mindset. 
Especially given the fact that our dad liked to feed our dog Scuffles, a hot dog, every night <laughs> for dinner. Like my brother now at this time is now in direct competition with our dog for food. And if he didn't get dinner before the dog ate dinner, there was a very real chance that my brother would be the loser. <laughs> Which actually happened more than once. Our, dog fed, our dad fed our dog more than he fed or before he fed his own child. There can be only one. <laughs> and mostly it was scuffles. It might sound ridiculous in the context of my kitchen, unless you're my, my brother, of course, but it's a concept that pervades our society. And not just our society, it was part of the world that Jesus inhabited as well. And so what I want to do before we get to our scripture, it's from Matthew 15 today, I want to take us back a couple of weeks to the beginning of this part of Jesus's ministry, really the beginning of the second half of Jesus's ministry. It starts in chapter 14 because this marks this moment where Jesus turns his attention. He's here to, to tell the world and to be the kingdom of God come near to all of us. He came to show what life can be like and what life will be like when God's kingdom is one day on earth as it is in where? Heaven. And he also came to show us through his disciples how to announce the kingdom, how to prepare the people for the kingdom, how to give people a foretaste of that kingdom, the glory divine. But Jesus also knew that his time on earth would be limited. And so when he hears of the death of John the Baptist at the beginning of Matthew 14, Jesus knows it's go time. Like things are about to accelerate. The time is now mission critical. And so he leaves to mourn his friend, prepare his spirit for the days ahead. He leaves to pray. But we heard this story a couple weeks ago, right? He stopped by his compassion for a crowd of people who've gathered at the shore seeking healing and hope. Now, if Jesus had a scarcity mindset, would he have thought he had enough time to heal the people and prepare himself for the mission-critical part of saving the entirety of humanity and creation? No, no, he, he would have thought, no, look, there can be only one, and right now I'm the Messiah, so I'm kind of like the one. <laughs> I got to take care of myself. There's not enough time. But Jesus knows that God's grace is what? Abundant. And he knows that there's a win-win scenario here, that in working for the healing of others, he can also fill his own soul. And as the day grows late and the disciples are keenly aware that they only have five loaves and two fish, do the disciples approach the situation with an abundant mindset or a scarcity mindset? Scarcity, right? They're operating out of the scarcity mindset of the kingdom of man. You give them something to eat, said Jesus, but there's not enough, they say. There's not enough. And then Jesus, operating out of our Lord's abundance, shows them that there is indeed enough in the kingdom of God. Everyone is fed. All, how many were fed? You guys aren't counting women and children. That's just sexist and, and ageist of all of you. 5,000 plus the women and children. Thank you. And there are 12 baskets left over of food, more than enough. And then Jesus gets his prayer time and the disciples are out on a boat and the wind starts to blow and the waves start to rock. And do the disciples think that they have enough to overcome this storm? No. 
When Jesus comes, does Peter have enough faith to trust in the abundant goodness of God? No. Jesus says to Peter, you of little faith. You of not enough faith. You with scarce faith. And when they land, they go to a place called Gennesaret where the people recognize Jesus for his miracles and they bring all the sick to Jesus, some of whom ask if we could only touch the hem of your cloak. And do you think there was enough healing to go around with Jesus? Yes. Was the grace of God in abundant enough for all to be healed or was there a scarcity of grace when it comes to Jesus? Right. No. Abundance. Abundance. We all, all who touched his cloak were healed, we read. Which further upsets and worries the Pharisees and the other church leaders because the church at the time was leading from this same scarcity mindset as the kingdom of man. And so if Jesus becomes more important, that means that the Pharisees must become less important. If Jesus gains more followers, that means they will have fewer followers. If more people come to Jesus, that means less people will come to them, which means they'll tithe less, and that's a big uh (laughs) uh-oh, right? And so once again, at the beginning of Matthew 15, the Pharisees, they try to knock Jesus down, and this time they do it in the kitchen. They come to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they argue that Jesus and the disciples are breaking the Jewish rules. You've all had this argument before. By not washing their hands properly before they eat. No joke, that's their argument. The disciples ain't washing their hands before they eat. They're defiled. But Jesus basically says, you're going around calling out all these people for breaking this law or that law when you yourselves have broken hearts and are breaking laws. You're all hypocrites. You hide behind the law, he says, because your hearts are corrupt. And when the disciples tell Jesus that he offended the Pharisees by what he said, Jesus says the first part of our scripture for today. This is Matthew 15, 16 through 20. He says, that. there we are. Then he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. You see, I waited for the kids to be downstairs before I said to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you. And we praise you for your word and your abundant love and grace and care for all of us. Speak into us this time when we feel like we're not enough. The world is not enough, that we don't have enough, Lord. Help us to remember that you, you are more than enough. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. So here are the disciples. 
and they're at a crossroads in Jesus' ministry, he knows that it's time to prepare them for the mission of the salvation of the entire world. He knows it's time soon for them to proclaim the abundance of the kingdom of God that is coming. But he also knows that the disciples are still struggling to get past the scarcity mindset of the kingdom of man. And the Pharisees are essentially saying, there's not enough grace for everyone. There's not enough grace for all of our sins, even our hand-washing sins. There's not enough grace. So we're going to spend our days calling out every misstep, every boundary crossed, everything that might possibly push up against the letter of the law we inherited regardless of the spirit of the law. Because when we push against other people and we make them less, what do we feel about ourselves? We feel more, more. And so to them, there's no margin of error when it comes to our faith or when it comes to our God's grace. But Jesus responds. He says, all that does, he says, is cause us to focus more on the things of this world. All that does is cause us to focus even more on the scarcity of the kingdom of man. And we lose sight of the abundance of the kingdom of God. And at the end of the day, the stuff of the kingdom of man, man, it's just stuff, right? It's just stuff. Ask, ask my little Mikey self. Everything in the world can go in your mouth. <laughs> and mostly it just comes right back out. We consume, we digest, and then we drop it off in the sewer, is what Jesus says. <laughs> he says, why are we so focused on that? Because our focus on scarcity is causing us to fight one another over stuff, to murder one another, to harbor evil intentions against one another. There's not enough for me in this relationship, so I turn to adultery. Someone might get him, which means I can't have him, so I turn to sexual immorality. There's not enough food for me, so I steal from another. I don't have enough to win outright, so I lie and say the football has the right amount of pressure. They look... (laughs) They look like they're ahead in the polls, so I'm going to tell a story to knock them back down to my level, and then they're going to sue me for slander, because there can be only one. The anxiety, the stress, the paranoia, the division, the fear of the scarcity mindset corrupts our hearts. And then what comes out of our hearts comes out of our lips, and it betrays our true nature. And it comes out of our lips and it goes onto TikTok or onto Facebook or onto the news or all over our neighbors or our friends or our school administrators and even onto our own children. If only we'd have enough faith to trust that there is enough. That there is enough bread. That there are enough fish. That there are enough hot dogs for the two of us. Ye of little faith. There's enough for you And there's enough for them. There's enough for the Pharisees and there's enough for the disciples. And as Jesus turns his heart to the disciples' mission, there's enough for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for all nations. And to prove his point, he takes the disciples into the heart of Gentile, non-Jew territory. And, and, And this is what happened. This is my least part, favorite part of the Bible. I've never read this in a sanctuary, I don't think, before because I don't like it but I'm going to read it now. This is Matthew 15, 21 through 28. So Jesus left that place and he went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. 
But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her for away, for she keeps shouting after us. And Jesus answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman, she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. That um, last bit of scripture, I keep it locked away in my file of things I wish Jesus hadn't said. And I've never taken it out (laughs) because I never really understood it until now. I mean... Jesus had just gotten done calling out the Pharisees for hypocrisy, for the awful things that come out of their mouths, for slander. He's just got done calling the disciples out for their scarcity mindset when it comes to loaves and fishes and faith. And when the Canaanite woman comes and asks Jesus for healing for her daughter, Jesus calls her a dog. It's not faith to take the children's food, the Israelites' food, and feed it to the dog, the Canaanites. There's not enough food for Israelites and Canaanites, for the kids and for the dogs. There can be only one. Like, talk about a hypocrite, right? I mean, Jesus just got done calling out the Pharisees for the very thing he just did. I was sent only to the sheep of the house of Israel. There's not enough for the rest of you. I'm like, did you forget the whole loaves and fishes thing, Jesus? Like, or the crowds that touched the hem of your garment and were healed, or the Gentiles that you've already healed before, this like the centurion's daughter? Yeah, see, I don't like this, Jesus. This is not my Jesus. But now when I think about where we are in Jesus' ministry, and where the disciples are in their faith, and where Jesus needs them to be, so that they can go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, I see something else happening. The woman is shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. But Jesus doesn't answer. He waits. And he waits. Like he's waiting for the disciples to come forward like they did when he fed the 5,000. Only this time, I'm wondering if he's thinking, are they going to get it? Are the disciples going to have enough faith? Are they going to understand? Do they see God's abundance? Or are they still seeing with humanity's scarcity? And how do the disciples respond? Scarcity, send her away. Don't don't heal her daughter. There's not enough for all people. There's not enough for Canaanites. Send her away. And so Jesus plays along because he knows this woman's heart. He knows her faith. Like this Canaanite woman has already called him Lord. She's already acknowledged who he is, that he is the son of David. She's already shown that she has faith in his abundant grace. So he says, I'm not here for you. There's only enough for the Israelites. She says, Lord, no, help me. She doesn't leave. She's persistent. He says, you're a dog. This food is for my children. Even the dogs get crumbs, she says. There's enough. And then Jesus says what? Woman, great 
is your faith. Woman, great is your faith. What did the Jesus say to the disciples both times they were out in a boat in a storm? Ye of little faith. But this Canaanite woman, you of abundant faith. Did the disciples get it? No, they still didn't get it. But I under the, understand the disciples because they, like we, we, we live in a world dominated by scarcity thinking, dominated by the very real scarcity of our own making because you see, scarcity thinking tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. There are more than enough houses for everyone, but we don't have enough money for the houses we got. There's more than enough food for everybody in the world, but just in case there isn't, we're not going to share our food with people who have less. We complain that we don't have enough people for all the jobs, but just in case, don't let any other people in because they might take the... Wait, if she gets a raise or if he gets praise, that must mean I'll get less or be thought of less. So I better make sure this person isn't recognized because there's only enough recognition to go around for me. I mean, I buy into this mentality every year at graduation. What do you mean there's no valedictorian? What do you mean that half the graduating class has a 4.3 on a 4.0 scale? Like, haven't you seen Highlander? There can be only one. We need a valedictorian. We need a winner, says the loser back in 1993. It's hard to trust the abundance of God when we can't see past the narrative of scarcity that we keep writing for ourselves. That's why our saint of the week, St. Anthony the Great, was so groundbreaking. He grew up as a child of faith, a Coptic Christian in Egypt. His parents were fairly wealthy. They died when he was about 20. They left him quite a bit of money, and they left him a younger sister to take care of. But then he heard a priest read Matthew 19, 21, where Jesus says to the rich young man who followed all the laws of the Old Testament, sell all that you have to the poor and follow me. And guess what Antony did? He sold, he sold almost all that he had and he gave it to the poor. He kept just enough so that he and his sister could live off. But then he heard this same priest read Matthew 10, 31, do not fear because you are more valuable to God than the sparrows. And if his eye is on the sparrow, God's got you. And so Anthony sends his sister off to the care of a convent. He gives the rest of the goods to the poor, and he becomes one of the first Christians to take Jesus' words to the rich young man literally. He gave away everything he had. He went off to live in the desert, and he would teach those who came to him, and he was living off his faith, trusting in the abundance of God rather than trusting in his possessions, trusting in the abundance of God rather than the scarcity mindset of mankind. And he went on to inspire an entire history of monastic living, monks and monasteries. He inspired generations of Christians in the fourth century and later to leave for the desert, to give everything up so that they could And he said things that we still hear today. His words, Anthony's words, still resonate today. They're still recording. One of his friends was the Pope in Alexandria, Athanasius, and he wrote a biography of 
Anthony right after he died in the fourth century that became like the first Christian best-selling biography in history, like the Mardell of the day. It was just wall-to-wall life of Anthony, and everyone was buying it. And his abundance of faith sustained him in the desert to the ripe old age of 105. And he's still influencing Christians around the globe. You see, what did Jesus do? He showed us again and again that he has an abundance of grace. Grace enough for all of us. Grace enough to sustain us even when we feel like we're in the deserts of our lives. The Canaanite woman knew this abundance. She trusted God's abundance. She trusted that there was healing enough for her and for her daughter, grace enough for God to do a new thing for new people. St. Anthony knew God's abundance. He trusted God's abundance enough to look past the world's scarcity mindset and share his abundance with others. And the disciples, man, check this out. Right after this experience with the Canaanite woman, Jesus goes out healing more foreigners and Gentiles, and we've been here before. After three days, they get hungry. There's about 4,000 of them this time. Foreigners this time, not Israelites. And Jesus calls the disciples to him and says, Hey, disciples, we should feed this crowd. And do you think the disciples had gotten past their scarcity mindset? The disciples say to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asks them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small. That's more than they had when he fed 5,000 people. Yet the disciples weren't there yet. They still weren't ready to trust and the abundance of God's grace. And so today, I ask you, how about you? What will you do? Will you remain stuck in the scarcity, there can be only one mentality of this world? And by the way, Ian, what happens in a world where we say this is only one? What happens to your head? You lose it, right? Like John the Baptist. Or the, yeah, that's true. Or are you ready to cast off the anxiety, the fear, the competition, and the division, and truly trust in the abundance of God's grace? Amen. Amen. Amen.